Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, turn to John chapter 15. We uh, are continuing through our Galatians series, but have had a brief pause where we're going to slow down and really highlight into the list of Christian virtues that Paul gives in uh, Galatians chapter 5, known as the fruit of the Spirit. And so we're spending time uh, over the next few weeks really looking at each one of these Christian virtues that Paul lists out in this list. This is not the only, this isn't all, all of them, and there's nothing else. Like Paul, there's other workings of God's Spirit in our lives, but these Paul lists out for us to be able to examine the, 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 the Spirit at work in the lives of believers. So last Sunday, Pastor Mike preached on the first of nine Christian virtues, the virtue of love, and, and Paul gives examples of these gospel-transforming life uh, which he calls the fruit of the Spirit. As with all spiritual fruit, true and lasting joy, which is the second that we'll be looking at today, cannot be produced by works of the flesh, only through the work of the Spirit. For this reason, Paul lists out examples in Galatians 5 of, of self-centered fruit of the flesh. If you remember a few weeks ago, uh, Alan uh, preached through that larger portion of text, and before Paul lists the Christian virtues, the fruit of the Spirit, he lists the outworking or the fruit of the flesh and contrasts the two uh, with one another. And so we have this, this outworking of this self-centered fruit of the flesh contrasted with, uh, with the God-glorifying fruit of the Spirit. And Paul began his argument with an imperative in this text where he says in Galatians 5.16, he says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now the command to walk for us today has less impact than it would have for the original audience because if we want to go anywhere, we just hop in our car and we drive for a destination. That is not the case for them. The majority of people, if they wanted to go anywhere, guess what? It was by their own two feet. The majority of people walked everywhere they went. And so for the, the connotation of Paul to say walk was really say, if you want to go anywhere and everywhere that you go, go by the way of God's design. Let his spiritual fruit impact every area of your life, everywhere that you go, every person that you meet. Paul tells the Galatian believers, as you go anywhere and as you go everywhere, go by means of God's design, not by means of man's desire. So one of the things that Pastor Mike said in his sermon last week, that, that he uh, differentiated between spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit. And as I, as I was studying joy this week, uh, I came across a quote uh, also making this distinction and reiterating, and it struck me last week so well, the difference, making sure we understand those, the distinction between spiritual works and spiritual fruit or spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit. Uh, I decided to include this from R.C. Sproul at the beginning here. Uh, I also want to commend R.C. Sproul's small book here called uh, Can I Have Joy in My Life? This was a, a great study resource, quick read, uh, just on the topic of joy. But R.C. Sproul writes this, 
Uh, he says, we must, quote, we must not forget that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not the same as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament shows us that the Holy Spirit distributes various gifts to various believers for various reasons. Every Christian is to manifest all of the fruit of the Spirit. And the more we grow in grace, the further we progress in our sanctification, or in other words, becoming more like Jesus. The more gentle we should be, the more patient we should be, the more faithful we should be, and obviously, the more joyful we should be. Joy, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, is, is highlight, that we're highlighting this morning. It appears in Scripture over 200 times, sometimes describing someone's response. Other times, it's given as a command. And we see joy throughout the biblical narrative, Old Testament, New Testament, we sing about joy. We just came out of the Christmas season. We sing songs like we did this morning, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Uh, at Christmas time, we sing joy to the world. But have we paused to really consider what is joy? Joy, as I said, is the second Christian virtue Paul lists as fruit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But what is true joy and what hinders us from walking in joy and how do we grow in our joy? I will address these questions today as we focus on this Christian virtue of joy. We will begin in John chapter 15 and then we will look throughout different texts of scripture and then we will come back and end uh, in John chapter 15. So just keep Keep your, your uh, Bible open to John 15 because the, the big idea that I hope we walk away with today is clearly stated in John 15, 11, where Jesus uh, tells us these things I have spoken to you. We'll look at these things a little later in the sermon. But he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, God's, de God's design, this big idea is God's design is for his joy to be in us and for our joy to be overflowing, regardless of our circumstances. And so that first question I addressed, what is joy? I want to take a few moments and talk through that this morning so we have a base to work with. Uh, we need to do some preliminary work before examining that greater context uh, of John 15, where Jesus made that statement that his joy be in us and that our joy may be full, uh, particularly these things I have spoken. We need to look at what he's talking about there, but we'll get to that. First, we must answer the question, what is joy? And more importantly, how does the Bible define or describe joy? Now, the temptation may be to regard joy as synonymous with feelings of happiness. This would be an incomplete picture of joy if we isolate it only to feelings of happiness. The biblical understanding of joy includes such feelings but is deeper than mere happiness or delight. Where happiness lives on the surface, think of it this way, like oil on top of the water. See, joy resides in the depths of the soul. Though it includes happiness, it is far more significant than a feeling or an emotional reaction. Joy is the work of God's Spirit in the lives of believers to produce assurance in the character of God the lasting and, and lasting trust in his goodness and faithfulness. Joy is that confidence that God's promises will be fulfilled. 
that confidence that God is who he says he is. And so regardless of the circumstances we face in life, and some tragic, and we'll look at some examples of that in scripture today, God remains trustworthy, good, and faithful. And this is precisely what joy, why joy can be present even when experiencing great suffering. I think of Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, for preaching the gospel, they, they find themselves in the middle of a prison after being falsely accused, after being beaten and jailed. Uh, they find themselves in the center of a prison in Philippi, in stocks. And what is their response? To sing praise and worship to God. That is not natural. That is not a normal response. That is a God-given, joyful response, knowing that their circumstances do not affect the joy that they have in Christ. It is, additionally, this is why James can begin his letter to a persecuted Jerusalem church with this, where he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. James can write to the church and say, Count it a joy when you face trials, when you face persecution. Well, that's not, that doesn't produce, persecution doesn't produce naturally feelings of happiness and delight. So there's something deeper that's a part that's, that's connected to joy rather than just an emotional response. But joy does manifest that we see largely in two ways, a feeling and an action, an emotional response and an obedient action. We see both of these in scripture. Let's look at the first, the emotional response that, that the world tends to, or culture tends to focus only on this. We call it happiness, delight, that emotional response uh, to something. It is, this emotional response is a feeling that is inspired or coerced by circumstances. Examples of this we see in our culture, this part, aspect of joy. We see it, and just go to a sporting event. When, when, when your team scores and that, that celebration that happens, there's an emotional response to, to an outside uh, circumstance. And Jesus teaches of this aspect of joy in Matthew 18, verses 13, when he states that the shepherd who, rece- who recovers his lost sheep experiences joy, experiences a feeling of happiness in this circumstance. Demonstrated uh, by the disciples' response as they returned to Jerusalem after Christ ascended into heaven. Luke chapter 24, verse 52, it says, They went to Jerusalem rejoicing, full of joy and delight. This emotional response, which is not all that joy is, but is part of what joy is, is a natural response and that God uses. But it would be incorrect for us to say that this is all that joy is. Because joy is also an obedient action. An intentional response unaffected by circumstances. Resulting from submission to God's design. Or as Paul would say, by walking in the spirit. Why is it that Christ followers can experience joy even in the midst of suffering? Because joy is not merely or not only an emotional response dependent upon favorable circumstances, but it includes obedient action produced through a life of faith and trust in the goodness of God and the faithfulness of his word. 
A few scriptural examples of that. Matthew 5, 11, verses 11 and 12, Jesus would teach this. This is part of his larger Sermon on the Mount. And he would say, blessed are you. And that word blessed, we tend to mess that one up in our culture. We think like blessed means to have like monetary gain or comfort. That's not at all what this word, that would be, that would be misunderstanding this word if we only would, would, would view it that way. Blessed really means like a life that's overflowing. Like almost like a cup of, of water that, that isn't just filled to the brim, but it's filled so full it's starting to run over the sides of the cup. This is the, the idea that Jesus says, this is the blessed, the full life, the blessed life is experienced when you, uh, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And so Jesus then tells us how to respond in those situations. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Jesus commands joy in suffering and persecution because the hope for followers of Jesus rests not in this world and what happens here, but is firmly set in eternity. Likewise, Paul writes in two different places, Philippians 4.4, 4, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, two different churches, two different letters to these churches where he says almost the same thing, rejoice or find joy in the Lord Always an intentional and obedient response by Christ followers. Peter, another disciple and apostle of Jesus, would write to, to his audience in 1 Peter 4, verse 13, where he says, But rejoice, this is an obedient action, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, so that you may also rejoice and be glad, the emotional response when his glory is revealed. So Peter nails it right here. How do we have joy? We understand that rejoicing is an action because our hope is not set on circumstances that are, are in this life only. Our hope is set on eternity. And so we can rejoice. We can be glad in those moments of sorrow, in those moments of suffering because our hope is not only here and now. Our hope, as Paul would say, as, as Peter said, is, is when the glory is revealed, when Christ will return, when he sets all things right. Additionally, joy is not the absence of sorrow. That's important because we can still have joy in the midst of sorrow. So just read through the Psalms and you see that this angst of the soul, this sorrow, but yet has not lost its joy. Joy is not the absence of sorrow, but rather the absence of despair or hopelessness. That's why David can declare in Psalm 30, verse 5, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And that word morning there can be translated as end of dark or first of light. As, as, as I read through that, it, it triggers Isaiah's words that would come generations later where Isaiah would say that there are those who walk in darkness and they will see a great light. And this light gives us joy. And this light is Christ. And this is what 
Peter and Paul and James and what, what they're talking about. They're saying that this, this joy is not a temporal thing. It's not something that, that ebbs and flows with the circumstances of our lives because this joy finds its root in Christ, where our hope is. Therefore, it is unaffected by the sorrows and the pain. And, and believe me, Jesus made it very clear that we would experience suffering and pain in this life, that that would be part of our human experience, especially if we, if we follow him. But he also made it very clear that his desire is for his joy to be in us and our joy then to be overflowing. Jesus not only gives us joy, Jesus is our joy. He is the bedrock, the root, the foundation in which our joy is built. And so Jesus, Jesus desires that his joy be in us and our joy be complete, be full, be overflowing. So we need to ask the second question, what hinders our joy in this life? A few things that came to mind, anxiety hinders our joy, fear hinders our joy, disappointment hinders our joy. This isn't all that hinders our joy, but these are, these are three and mainly the, the top two that I really want to focus on this morning because the, the scripture speaks to these as well. Addressing anxiety, Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, and he said this, he says, therefore I tell you. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields, fields, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the, clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not more, much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For Gentiles, which essentially means godless or earthly-minded, for Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself." Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus points, as, as he's preaching, this is the same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching those who, who, are, who are following him and those who are interested in what he has to say. And, 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 and what he declares here is that these things that are natural things that we look to, to need filled, he says, don't concern yourself with these things as if that's all, what, all that matters in life these temporal things. Instead, he sets their attention on eternal things. Seek first the kingdom of God, that eternal kingdom that does not fade away, that does not run out of resources, that, does, that cannot be conquered and has no end. Set your heart and your mind on that which is eternal, 
on his righteousness, on the right way of living according to God's design. And Jesus says, and the rest of these things will be added to you. It's, it, this joy flows from a deep trust in the goodness and faithfulness of God. And what we see exampled in Jesus as he walked his earthly ministry is that deep trust in the Father's good purposes. In fact, in John 15, where we will spend some time in a minute, Jesus over and over again through this time of teaching his disciples directs their attention to the Father and particularly to the Father's love for them and his love for Christ. So anxiety attempts to rob us, but we counteract that by focusing our attention on Christ, trusting in the goodness and faithfulness of God. Similarly, fear. Fear can rob us, attempt to rob us from from joy in our life. And as as we looked last week, as Mike preached, he pulled out 1 John 4, 18, where it tells us very clearly that perfect love, which is God's love, casts out fear. It makes no room for fear. And again, it's that bedrock of trust in the goodness and faithfulness of God, that God's promises are not empty. God's words will not return void. He will do what he said he would do because he is. He is who he says he is. He is trustworthy. Anxiety, fear, and disappointment, these are naturally produced by our fallen flesh. But they reveal a lack of understanding of the goodness of God and a lack of trust in the sovereignty of God. So how do we combat the temptation to fear or to be anxious? By drawing near to the Father, remembering God's love for us in Christ and meditating on his promises. If you today struggle with anxiety of being nervous or anxious about the future, the antidote to the remedy for that is to draw near to the Lord. Be regularly in his word. Allow his word to shape your thinking, to shape the way you view life and circumstances. Regularly be in God's word. Meditate on his promises. Memorize his word so, as the scripture says, we hide it in our hearts so it becomes a part of shaping who we are in our thought process. Remembering God's love for us in Christ, meditating on his promises. This emphasizes our need to know God accurately and to know him intimately. We need to to know God as he has revealed himself in his word. And we need to see him at work in our lives. And, And many times it's just making that prayer, God, help me to see you at work in my life. Because we miss it so often. We miss the the little things that that God does in our lives on a daily basis because we're focused and distracted by other things. So make that a regular prayer. God, help me to know you accurately according to your word. Help me to see you at work in my life and in the lives of others so that I may know your joy and that your joy may be in me and that my joy may be full. So 
So we resist the temptations of the world through remembering who God is and what God has done and what he has promised he will yet do. So since the fruit of, of, of joy is produced by the work of the Spirit in our lives, does that mean we just sit idly by and say, okay, God, do your thing. Like, go ahead, do your work of, of, of putting joy in my, in my life. No, the work is God's, therefore the glory is God's alone. But we do have a responsibility. Remember, Paul began this, this, this portion of text in Galatians chapter 5 by, by encouraging and challenging his readers to walk by the Spirit. There is, there is an, a responsibility that we have as well. A responsibility to walk in and according to God's design. To know God's design. To press in to Him. So it leads to the third question, how do we cultivate joy in our lives? To answer that question, we return to John 15. And Jesus said, these words I have spoken, that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full. John 15, 11, we need to understand what does he mean by these words I have spoken? This is part of a larger teaching that Jesus is giving to his disciples, uh, teaching about what is to come for them and for, for those who would hear their word and follow after Christ, the teaching about the help that Jesus would bring, would send in the Holy Spirit, and teaching about the Holy Spirit's work in their lives, and teaching about the circumstances they will face as followers of Jesus. But at the beginning of John chapter 15, and even actually in, in, in John chapter 14, we see multiple times throughout this discourse, Jesus teaching that obedience flowing from love produces true joy. Obedience flowing from love produces true joy. Jesus would say many times statements like this in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not just once, but multiple times, he will make this statement. So what commandment is Jesus referencing in John chapters 14 and 15? And the command encompasses all that's given in the scope of Scripture. And it's not a burden to put on us because essentially what Jesus, what Jesus is teaching his disciples is aim to be as I am. The goal is that we aim to be like Christ. Christ talked about his obedience to the Father and that his joy flowed from his obedience to the Father. And so as he exampled to us, he also charges us that out of his love for the Father flows his obedience to his word and that, that he calls us and the aim is to be as he is. Similar to his command to love as he has loved, so too are his followers to obey as Jesus has obeyed. Out of love. For the Father. It's not a burden. It's a delight. Because what the work of the Spirit in us has changed our desires. Our desire is to be near God, not to bring a pleasing offering to Him alone, to be near Him so that we may be like Him. It is out of love that obedience flows. Oftentimes we get that mixed around. We think that it's out of obedience that God's love then comes to us. And Jesus makes very clear in John 14, John 15, that it is out of love 
but obedience flows. If you, keep, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says. In John chapter 15, he gives this beautiful uh, picture of the true vine and being connected to the vine and producing fruit as being connected to the vine. And he says, uh, I am the vine. In verse 5, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, in verse 7, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Love is what is the motivator behind this obedient action. And Jesus says this is... This is his motivation. It is love that motivates him to be obedient to what God has called him to do. You're obedient even unto death, death on the cross. And he's charging his disciples in in the hours right before he would go and die for them. He charges his disciples, so shall you walk in obedience out of love, out of a desire to just be like the Lord. Paul writes concerning this joy resulting from obedience motivated in love. In Romans chapter 5, he writes this. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, or in other words, made legally righteous through faith in Christ, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us to us. The fruit of the Spirit is less about a list of obligations to fulfill as it is about a total life change, including motives, no longer motivated by self-centered idolatry, but by God-loving obedience. God is the object of our worship. As Jesus stated, just as love for the Father motivates his obedience, so is love for God to motivate the obedience of his disciples. Obedience is not in order to earn God's love, but obedience is, to God is motivated by God's love. God has freely loved because of Christ's perfect obedience. Because he has first loved us, we love him. And because we love him, we obey him. And what is produced out of that is joy. Joy in obeying God's good design for us. Joy in in, in demonstrating God's love for others to see. Joy that cannot be altered by our circumstances. Joy that cannot be taken away under persecution. And so my question for you this morning, for us this morning, 
knowing that love is what, what obedience flows out of that produces joy, we need to ask, do you know God's love for you? And it's easy, if, you, if you've grown up in churches, you've, yeah, I know that. I know God loves me. I mean, I remember the kids' songs. I know God loves me. But have you, have you really thought about God's love for you? If you haven't, I would encourage you, take some time. Set aside where you're alone, away from distractions. Turn your phone off. Open up God's word. John 14, 15, it's a great place to start. 16, 17, if you want to keep going. And Jesus is teaching to his disciples. And, and, and think of all that God has done to demonstrate his love for you. Christ on the cross. This is what love is, Jesus would say, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Literally hours before he would lay down his life for those who would follow him. This is what love is. Do you know God's love for you? Are you trying to be obedient, doing the right thing as best as you know in order to earn God's favor? God's favor is available to you through Christ, not through our own merit. So are we resting in the love of the Father as a child with all the privileges and responsibilities of an heir, but assured of God's great love for you in Christ which then produces deep and lasting joy. I would encourage you to uh, listen, if you were not able to hear Mike's sermon last week on love, he spoke deeper on this topic, and I would encourage you to uh, take time to listen to that as you ponder God's love for you. But then if you lack joy because you are not assured of God's love for you, know this. Jesus lived in perfect obedience out of love for the Father. And he took the punishment for our sinful disobedience, fully satisfying the wrath of God towards sin. And Jesus died in your and my place. Taking the wrath of sin that was mine that I deserved, he took. But death itself was powerless to hold him. And God raised Christ to life in order to make a way of salvation for his people. If you look at your life and you see a lack of joy, I first must ask, have you responded to this good news, this gospel? with repentance and faith. If you have not, I encourage you today, do not delay, but turn to Christ. Place your trust in Jesus for salvation. And may we be encouraged that joy comes from knowing and pressing into the Lord. That joy comes out of, out of Christ's work in our life. It is unaffected by the circumstances of our life. That deep 
and lasting joy because it is sure and steady on the hope and the future of Christ's return. And it is, it is assured that God will fulfill all his promises. And in those moments of great trial, great suffering, great loss, joy, one who has joy clings to the promises of God clings to the goodness of God. Though these circumstances are terrible, God, I know that you are good. Though I may not be able to see it right now, I trust that you are faithful. Though emotionally I may feel that you are distant from me, God, I know that you are near. These are the truths that, that a joyful person hangs on to in the midst of challenge, suffering. And as we see throughout the Old Testament, it's even more difficult to hold on to those truths in the midst of success. It was in those moments of great blessing, in, in the sense of natural blessing, not in the sense of spiritual blessing, in, 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 in great abundance would be a better word, that Israel forgot about the Lord, walked away from obedience to God. It is in those moments of great success that it is more of a challenge for us to cling to the truths of God. But the heart that is filtered by the gospel, the view that is filtered by the gospel that, that has set on eternal things does not live for the here and now, but lives for the hope of eternal. Friend, may you know the love of God. May his joy be in you. And may your joy be full regardless of your circumstances. And may you and I live our lives to make much of the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, this morning, we are grateful that it is, it is not a superficial emotional response that you're looking for, but it is a life fully trusting and hoping in you, in your character, in your goodness, and your faithfulness. And God, I pray that this morning, for those of us here who who battle with the temptation to, to anxiety and to fear. God, that you would teach us to set our eyes on eternal things. To walk in obedience out of love for you. and to hold tightly to the truths that you have given us in your word. I pray that you would work in our lives, that you would produce the fruit of joy in our lives, a greater abundance tomorrow and the next day and, and next week and next month and next year, that you would continue to produce joy in our lives as a work of your spirit. that we would rejoice in the goodness of God. 
God, we pray that you would do this, not for our comfort, but for your glory. That we might experience your joy, that our joy would overflow and would, would pour out and it would be recognized and noticed by others around us. And that we would boast in the goodness and faithfulness of God. God, thank you that your love is not something we have to earn, but was earned by Christ and is given to us. And for those who are in Christ, we are loved. Help us to grasp that, understand that. Help that to be the, the root of our joy and to look to you in all things. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.